Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Well, have you heard the rumor that Michelle Obama might run in 2024? That has been floating around for years, but uh, she has been denying it each time. And so today we're going to be looking at the secrets of Michelle Obama in 2024. The lady doth protest too much. And there is no one who knows more about this, nor knows more about her secrets, and knows more about um, what her plans really are than my guest, uh, Joel Gilbert. He is, well, first of all, he wrote um, a book called uh, Michelle Obama 2024, Her Real-Life Story and Plan for Power. And he's the director of a documentary called Michelle Obama 2024. Um, He has done many other documentaries, and I'll tell you about some of them later. He's a political commentator and a foreign policy analyst, and he's based in L.A. So without further ado, you know, I think this is so um, spicy (laughs) because I am not a fan of Michelle Obama. I have never been, quite frankly, um, although I don't know all these details that uh, my guest is going to reveal uh, you know, I haven't done the same deep dive that he has, but just from um, just from her saccharine sweetness, from just from the beginning, I before I knew anything about her, um, other than she was, you know, the wife of Barack Obama, um, I, I just couldn't stand her, and it really uh, bothered me that um, that people were fawning over her, have been fawning, and continue to fawn over her for all these years, like that they don't see the fakeness in it. So, Michelle, I should have called this Michelle Obama Exposed. (laughs) So, Joel, welcome to the show. Okay, thanks for having me today. So, why don't we start with what I know you've done, um, you know, uh, uh, um, documentaries on Barack Obama and um, American politics and Donald Trump and, you know, political issues. Um, But what got you particularly interested? I mean, this obviously took you a very long time to um, seek out all these secrets that you have. So what got you to be, to focus on Michelle Obama, got you so interested in her? Okay, well, I've been following the Obamas for uh, over 10 years. I actually pretty well known for a film I made in 2012 called Dreams from My Real Father, which is kind of a takeoff on Barack Obama's biography, Dreams from My Father. And in that documentary, I presented a mountain of evidence that his real biological father was probably not the Kenyan Obama, not the Kenyan student, but was in fact this uh, Chicago uh, radical uh, Communist Party USA member named Frank Marshall Davis that raised Obama and that looks just like him. And uh, that film you know, did very, very well. So I followed the Obamas uh, since then, and I noticed uh, that Michelle was, since really 2016, that she was pretty much uh, mimicking and copying Barack Obama in his political ascent uh, to run for president. Uh, Barack, of course, wrote that biography, Dreams from My Father. He based his candidacy on his uh, personal story, and Michelle wrote an autobiography called Becoming back in 2018, and she did a world 
book tour and sold out 20,000-seat arenas and did this big interview tour with all these celebrity pals. Uh, Barack had a, um, an organization called uh, Project Vote, actually, in 1992. That's how he started in politics. And Michelle founded When We All Vote. She was just here in Los Angeles a few weeks ago giving a fiery political speech about voter registration. And uh, lastly, uh, of course, Michelle was the, the keynote speaker for Joe Biden at the 2020 Virtual Democrat Convention. That's the spot that they typically give to the person they think is going to be the nominee at the next convention, uh, just like Barack was for John Kerry in 2004. So I just noticed mm. she's kind of following in the footsteps of Barack. She's, now she's releasing a second book, same thing that Barack did. He released The Audacity of Hope. Michelle released, uh, has a new book coming out in November. So I see her following the same path, and I, I realized there were six biographies about Michelle Obama. They're all very reverent and kind of just repeating whatever she says. So I decided to do a deep dive into Michelle Obama's background, and I went to Chicago. I talked to her elementary school classmates, elementary school teachers, high school teachers and classmates, college professor, people she worked with, even her mother, three boyfriends. So I have a completely different picture that I present in Michelle Obama 2024. Uh, I make the case that she's running for president, and I also do a whole expose of her life history that turns out is nothing like she's been claiming all these years. Well, now let's start. You know, I'm a psychiatrist, so of course I like to start at the beginning in childhood. Let's hear about, because that really is what uh, forms a person's personality and who they are. So let's start back there. Well, uh, probably the biggest thing that affected her and still affects her to this day, she talks about having imposter syndrome, the idea that she doesn't belong and has to, uh, you know, always prove herself and, and people questioning whether she belongs. Um, this, I believe, comes from uh, her experience in, in kindergarten and first grade. Uh, she was supposed to go to this uh, Dulles Elementary School near where she lived in Parkway Gardens on the south side of Chicago. And her mother registered her for school in South Shore, which is not on the south side, a very exclusive school with gifted programs. And she was there for two years, kindergarten and first grade, before the family moved to that area. Uh, so that was her first experience you know, uh, being an imposter and not, not supposed to be there uh, was a misdemeanor, a Class C misdemeanor if you got caught. Uh, after that, yeah. Michelle and her brother pretty much ran away from the black community at every chance they got. Uh, Michelle openly lies about it in Becoming and Becoming Tour. She says, I went to the neighborhood schools. My parents couldn't afford private schools. Completely a lie. Uh, Michelle went to Whitney Young Magnet School an hour and a half two buses away. Her brother went to a Catholic high school. Even though the Robinsons weren't Catholic, 3500 bucks a year at the time was like $17,000 today. So they always so ran wait, away so from the So how black. did they... Yeah. Okay, but how, what did her parents... Did, did her parents have the money to pay for that? Well, her father was a precinct captain. He worked for the Democrat Party machine in Chicago. He had a uh, patronage job at the water department. Michelle also lies about that constantly. She says her father was a janitor. Sometimes he was a pump operator. No, he was a precinct captain, and he had a patronage job that was given to him for being a, uh, a political leader in his neighborhood and getting out the vote. Michelle talks about in her book going around with her father, six years old, going to people's houses, making sure they come out and vote for the Democrat Party. 
So Michelle is a very mm. political person. She was political from age six, and um, she chronically lies about her childhood, uh, citing stories of uh, uh, discrimination and being held back in life and being uh, told she couldn't do things to try to manipulate black voters mostly with these phony claims of racial discrimination to get their sympathy and their votes. But she had a very privileged mm -hmm. childhood. She always ran away from the black community. Instead of going to the neighborhood school, she always went far away. And she even talks openly. I have her on tape. It's in the film. She talks about being afraid to go out of her house. She was accused uh, by kids of acting white and talking white. Mm -hmm. And she said she feared getting beat up. She even writes in her book, Becoming, about getting in a fistfight with a girl uh, who was calling her an Oreo, meaning black on the outside and white on the inside. It's a major insult. Mm -hmm. So that, that mm -hmm. was her thing. She was, she was, the only discrimination she really experienced was black kids accusing her of acting white and talking white. And she ran away from the black community uh, in her childhood to, to get away from the people she was afraid of. And then you have something, I watched the trailer of your movie, which is like really powerful. Um, and there's a scene where, uh, I guess it's a high school guidance counselor telling her she could never get to Princeton because she's black. Or Well, she doesn't say that, but that's the implication that you, that's, you'd never get in there, something like that. Yeah, that's a story Michelle's been telling for about 15 years. Uh, she's been talking about being racially profiled by her high school counselor who told her, actually, it's actually in the trailer, she says that the counselor said, you know, you're black, maybe you're stretching, thinking about going to Princeton. Now, mm -hmm. I, did, I did my research, and I found out the counselor was, in fact, a church-going black woman who was also an assistant principal uh, named Nan King. And, uh, you know, it's very unlikely she was racially profiled by this black lady. So Michelle mm -hmm. tells these stories of... Uh, being discriminated against uh, to manipulate black voters uh, to get their sympathy. But Michelle, she was afraid of the black community. She, she was in fear. She was afraid to go out of her house. Uh, she ran away at every chance she got. And I also talk about in the film and book when she, in her professional career in Chicago, she had jobs that uh, sold out the black community. Uh, for example, she worked for the, for the uh, mayor of Chicago, Mayor Richard Daley, she was assistant planning commissioner when they were doing this program called redevelopment. And that was the nice word for knocking down the projects where the poor black people lived in these projects. So one was called Cabrini Green. And they knocked down the, how, the, the projects and gave the land away, which was near downtown, to these Democrat donor developers like Tony Resco. And uh, then they got some of the money donated back to the politicians. So Michelle was in on that making about 20,000 blacks homeless. And then, uh, you know, having proven her callousness, she was hired by the University of Chicago Medical Center to head up a program called the Southside Health Collaborative. And uh, they had a problem because uh, blacks from the South Side of Chicago were utilizing their emergency room. They were losing like $50 million a year. So they hired Michelle to start this program to dump these people, put them in vans, and dump them at these crappy neighborhood clinics to prevent them from having access to good health care. So Michelle always worked for these um, elites to deal with their problems with black people, uh, taking away their homes and telling them it's good for them, taking away their health care and telling them it's good for them. That's what Michelle did. So she has a very, uh, you know, very shameful history of selling out the black community in Chicago, 
And then years later in politics, she pretends to be one of these ordinary black folks that she exploited all her life. So uh, that's part of the story that I tell when I say that Michelle is not who she pretends to be. What did her mother, did her mother work? Her mother did not work uh, most of the years. She only worked uh, when Michelle was already in high school. But her mother stayed home. She was a very big influence and came almost every day to volunteer at the elementary school where Michelle went. You know, Michelle mm-hmm. walked home and her mother made her lunch every day. Uh, look, even Barack Obama made fun of Michelle. He said that she, her, she was like a typical, stereotypical white Midwest family, white upper, white class, white middle class upbringing, like the Leave It to Beaver or Ozzie and Harriet. And, uh, you know, Michelle very much had a, uh, a typical uh, upbringing where she watched the Brady Bunch every day. She said Mary Tyler Moore was her hero. She played Monopoly. You know, she had very much uh, a privileged uh, childhood. So um, she she must have gotten the message then, going back to this imposter syndrome, she must have gotten the message from her parents that, um, that like, the, the, they seem to have been self-hating. Like, they hated the fact that the, the parents hated the fact that they were black. Is that right? Uh, I would, no, I wouldn't say it's the case at all. I mean, I don't think the... I don't think being black was a big deal. It just didn't really it didn't mean much. It didn't uh, hold them back in any way. Uh, they aspired well, to be part they, of. They, yeah. they, they seem to have been embarrassed by it. Like, why did they? You know, she got this from somewhere. Like, they worked so hard. They lied, basically, as you were saying. It would have been a felony. Um, they lied to get her in this better school, that in a better neighborhood. Yeah, they they always they always remove the kids from any kind of situation where there were lower class blacks that they felt might be holding them back and they got them into education to high schools with uh you know 90 percent white kids uh to further their education it wasn't about color i think as much as they were looking for a better education for the kids and uh, michelle she does talk about living in fear of her neighbors and fear of getting beat up and fear of uh you know being called out for being you know acting like acting white that was the thing that she was uh called out for constantly. Well, and also, when she was in kindergarten or first grade, she must have been afraid, right, that, that she was going to be found out, like she says in that uh, one scene in your uh, documentary. I don't know if that was referring to that, but um, she mentions the imposter syndrome. But, like, like if, you, if you were a child and you, you're, you knew that your parents had lied about, you know, your address, I mean, this happens today, um, if your parents lied about your address, you'd kind of be sitting in class wondering if someone was going to come and tap you on your shoulder and say, um, excuse me, you don't belong here. Yeah, there's no question that that would have affected her, and I'm sure her mother told her when she was young not to tell anybody where she lived. And uh, her mother had right. to probably had to pick her, up, pick her up from school. All the other kids were walking home, and her mother would pick her up. So I'm sure that had to weigh on her. But throughout her life, uh, Michelle always got jobs that were created for her uh, that didn't really exist until Michelle came along. They said, well, let's make you assistant planning commissioner. Let's make you this job. Let's make you that job. Uh, So Michelle always cited the idea that she felt, well, maybe she wasn't good enough. Maybe she didn't belong. When she was at the the, uh, Princeton University, for example, uh, she had a job babysitting the head of this thing called the Third World Center, where you had a lot of black and foreign students belong to this 
kind of this fraternity that was kind of a political group. And Michelle got a work-study credit for, for babysitting. So that, <laughs> oh, you're not really supposed to do that. So Michelle always is in these situations, it seems like, where uh, she was getting over on, on, on these situations or in jobs that were created for her. So that sounds like uh, a symptom of a sociopathic personality disorder. Well, I think all these things weighed on her over time, uh, just about every situation. She had to be wondering, you know, am I good enough to be here? When she applied to Princeton, her test scores were very low. I mean, the worst thing her high school counselor could have said to her would have been something like, well, you know, Princeton only takes the top 2% of test scores, so you might want to have some backups in case they don't accept you. Uh, that's about mm -hmm. the worst thing she probably heard. I think we've all heard stuff, something like that. Uh, so uh, she goes to Princeton, and she actually gets a, does very poorly in her first semester. So she, she then joins the sociology department, which was relatively easy major, and then mm -hmm. Afro-American studies, uh, which is even easier. <laughs> so, you know, she chose the kind of cop-out just to maintain good grades, yeah. which is very important to her. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes, I mean, it is kind of amazing that she she got through it, I guess. Uh, I mean, she got a diploma from there, so she did achieve it one way or the other. Um, so I guess we we can give her that. But yes, and this is a very troubling childhood, a very troubling background, you know, in terms of, of what this has made her into. Well, we need to take our first break. Um, again, my guest is Joel Gilbert. His book is called Michelle Obama 2024, Her Real-Life Story and Plan for Power. And um, he is also the director of a documentary called Michelle Obama 2024. So we will be back after this break. Stay tuned. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, Check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Follow the Voice America Variety Channel on Twitter. Our hosts always have something to say, and we know that you do too. We tweet on today's hot topics, and you're welcome to follow us. Speak up and join in at Voice AM Variety. That's at Voice AM Variety. 
stimulating talk. It gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll free at 1 866 472 5788. Now back to the show. Here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking with Joel Gilbert, who is a very brave man and a very excellent researcher and writer uh, and documentarian. Um, he is the author of Michelle Obama 2024 and a film by the same name and a documentary by the same name. And they have just come out and um, they are going to be, um, you know, they're obviously super interesting right now, but they may well become uh, what stops the, the difference between her becoming president in 2024 and not. Um, so let's get back to where we were. We were, we were up to Princeton University. So, um, you know, when, 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 just before we um, continue chronologically, uh, her father, a precinct job. So, in other words, he was a, I'm not quite, he was a policeman? He, what, what, what do you mean by a precinct No, a, a, a precinct captain. In the Chicago politics, they have uh, 50 wards. Uh, it's like districts. The city is divided into 50 districts. Each district has an alderman. And then all, then the, all, each district is divided between uh, precinct captains, and they control about 500 different homes. So they're in charge of getting out the vote, essentially, for the Democrat Party. It's a very unique system of democracy where really it just puts one party in control. So her father was basically like the mayor of this tiny area of, of homes where they lived, and that was his job in exchange for... Uh, doing, he got the job at the water department. It's a kind of called a patronage job, to be an inspector, which wasn't too tough. And but his main job was to uh, get out the vote for the Democrats every election cycle. That's it's really fascinating. So, so she saw also as a child, you know, being the um, being a leader uh, in politics in the Democratic Party in particular, gets you all kinds of um, perks. Yes, well, not only that, but she uh, she was best friends with Santita Jackson, who was the daughter of Jesse Jackson. And Michelle has said that she grew up in Jesse Jackson's house uh, when she was in high school wow. during the years during the years that Jesse was preparing to run for president. So she really saw and experienced politics on all levels, and that's why she's such a political animal today. She's very much a, a politician. Uh, she's a better politician than Barack. She's a better speaker. She speaks with more authenticity, and uh, she'd be a very formidable opponent for any any uh, Republican running against her. Um, you know, it's interesting because Barack, well, first of all, I think Barack is the worst president that America has ever had. I've said that, you know, since, since he became president, in particular, making us more um, vulnerable to terrorists, but lots of other things as well. Um, but, you know, you could kind of see, I mean, he broke the barrier. He was the first black president. And you could kind of see how, so first you'd have a man who broke the black barrier. And now it, that kind of opens the door, in a sense, for a woman, especially since Hillary had run before. So there are a lot of things that would make it seem like it was right for, for Michelle. Well, the timing is right for Michelle. The Democrat Party is pretty much purging all their older white 
uh, you know, politicians like Andrew Cuomo, Biden, you know, everyone's pretty sure is not going to be running again. And they're really turning to more uh, ethnic uh, people with ethnic background, female, black, you name it. So, Michelle, the timing is really right for her to run for president. And I think she's been doing that for a couple of years uh, under the guise of, you know, outreach and her book deal. And But if you look at her Twitter account, it's pretty much all politics all the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so let's, uh, let's, how did she do at Princeton? I mean, I know besides grades, we talked about, or I said that at least she somehow managed to be graduated from it. Um, but how was she socially there? Well, socially, uh, she got this job. Her, her brother was kind of the janitor at this thing called the Third World Center, which was kind of a, a fraternity of sorts, uh, mostly racially based politics uh, student group. So Michelle, he got Michelle a job there as a babysitter for the head of the Third World Center. So Michelle became involved there with the Third World Center for a couple of years. By her senior year, she com- Craig had graduated. He moved on. She- Michelle seemed to have nothing to do with it. She was mostly concentrating on writing her thesis and doing her LSATs to prepare for law school. Uh, so, But Michelle you know, took the easy way out. It was a cop-out, studying sociology and Afro-American studies. It was it's kind of like going to high school, really. So she chose an mm-hmm. easy way to get good grades. So, okay, so her brother went to Princeton also. What does her brother do now? Well, her brother was a basketball star at Princeton, and that's probably ah. why Michelle got in. That's probably why Michelle got in with low test scores. Ah, ah, I was wondering. Okay, yes. Right. And so, so what the is brother, he doing today? Uh, yeah, well, the brother graduated. He worked in banking for some years uh, and then became a basketball coach. And I think to this day he's still a basketball coach. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Um, okay. And so then, but what about, like, as far as just sort of the more mainstream kinds of things at Princeton? Like, did she was she popular? I mean, besides in this third world group, like, did she have friends? Was she, did she yeah, feel well, like an look outcast? At, at, Look, at Princeton, for the first uh, couple years, she was heavily involved in this Third World Center. Uh, That was her main group of friends. Her senior year, she kind of dropped the whole thing, and she was uh, modeling, for example, in these uh, uh, fashion shows. She's even on on the front page of the Princetonian magazine modeling at at an event. Uh, She's involved in, you know, a production of The Wiz. So she seems to kind of... She she got into the sociology, Afro-American studies for a couple of years. By her senior year, she was she was pretty much done with it. Uh, and I talk about this especially in the book, where you know, being black was never a big deal. It wasn't it nothing that was uh, holding her back or causing any problems. But when she got into the Afro-American studies program, they drilled her about how. She's only a racial stereotype. So she wrote this thesis to kind of, it was kind of like a cry for help. Uh, to, uh, to, to, what she did is she took a survey of alumni who had graduated, black alumni who graduated from Princeton, and they agreed with her that they wanted to be part of society, not to be some kind of stereotype. So they kind of helped her get out of this uh, Afro-American studies course that had lectured her uh, in kind of this radical politics. Now, she got away from it, but she, you know, became very well-versed in racial politics and would later use that type of rhetoric and those type of themes when she wanted political power. Huh, yes, 
yes. Interesting. Um, okay, and then what happened? <laughs> then, what, so then she went to law well, school. What's, well, what's funny is, look, Michelle, uh, in the 2008 presidential campaign, she... You know, she was a Harvard lawyer, just like Barack. She, uh, you know, was a university executive. She'd worked mayor. She worked, you know, for white people, mostly, as I said earlier, uh, selling out the black community. Uh, so in 2008, she kind of reinvented herself to help Barack because he was having trouble getting uh, support of the black community. They were supporting Hillary Clinton because mm-hmm. they had a lot of experience with her husband, Bill Clinton, so they were not supporting mm-hmm. Barack Obama. He was from Hawaii. He went to Harvard. Uh, he had no street cred. He wasn't really considered by black people as, as black or somebody that had shared their experiences. So Michelle kind of reinvented herself as South Side Girl. She kind of said, well, I'm from the South Side, and that's all you need to know about uh-huh. me. And that's when she huh. made up all these stories about the, the Princeton, uh, you know, the high school counselor, racially profiling her and suffering from discrimination and people holding her back. All this nonsense was not true at all. Uh, Michelle, when you see the film version of Michelle Obama 2024, you actually see her speaking to black audiences uh, and using an urban accent for the first time, dropping her G's, (laughs) uh, pretending to be one of these black people that she spent her life uh, exploiting and selling out. Uh, So that, that, that invention of Southside Girl is uh, something that Michelle relies on when she needs uh, political support. Uh, but in reality, Michelle lives in Martha's Vineyard today. They bought a mansion, you know, on the ocean. Uh, obviously, they think they must think that uh, global warming is a hoax because they bought a home right on the ocean. And uh, uh, today, oh, yeah. Michelle <laughs> still she still tries to pass herself off as some kind of South Side girl, but she never even grew up in the South Side, as I mentioned. Mm-hmm. Well, let's. Um, I'd like to know about that. What do you What do you know? Or what did you discover um, about uh, her meeting of Barack and how? What made the two of them? I mean, was it kind of like Hillary and Bill that they saw each other as uh, being useful? You know, uh, useful to their political career. Yeah. Well, that's very interesting. Uh, so Michelle goes to Harvard, uh, and by the way. In her book, Becoming, she doesn't even mention she went to Harvard. She just says, I went to law school, and then I moved to Chicago. Because going huh. to Harvard, it's an, elite, it's an elitist degree. It's the ultimate elitist right. experience. And she wants people to think she's just this you know, poor girl from the South Side. Uh, so right. she doesn't want you to know about that. But she gets a job at a big law firm called Sidley & Austin with 2,000 lawyers. Uh, she works there with Bernadine Dorn, of all people, who is one of the leaders of the Weather Underground the SDS in the 19, late hmm. 60s, early 70s. And uh, it's clear to me, and I point that out in the film and book, that Michelle learned about the politics of fear from Bernadine Dorn uh, because she hmm. recites Bernadine Dorn word for word in the 2008 campaign about fear, we're all afraid of each other, this kind of nonsense. Uh, so there's a big influence there. And Barack Obama shows up at this law firm in 1989 as a summer intern, and that's where they meet uh-huh. And they have this, they have uh-huh. a kind of a long distance relationship for a year or two uh, until Barack comes back to Chicago. So that's interesting. So she was, um, now was she older than he is? I mean, she was his mentor or his supervisor or something at the law firm then. Right. But right? Barack, uh, yeah, Barack actually spent three years in Chicago as a community organizer. So he's actually three years older than Michelle, uh-huh. but he, but uh-huh. he, um, 
uh, went to law school a few years after she graduated. Uh-huh. Okay. So that that's an interesting, you know, just way to start off a relationship with the woman being like having a higher position at the law firm. So, I mean, I guess he, um, but what do you talk about or what do you know about, um, like, was it, what was their attraction to each other? Well, mostly I think, uh, Michelle has always aspired to whiteness. She really is afraid of black people. She always was afraid of black people. She never had any black friends. I don't think she has any black friends to this day. She worked with white people. She studied with white people. Uh, in, she writes in her book about her best friend who was named Diane Gore, and she says she was light-skinned. Uh, Valerie Jarrett was her, she says, was my idol. She was light-skinned. She seems to always gravitate toward whiteness and being white. Uh, so mm. I think, I think uh, you know, Barack was half-white and uh, grew up in a white mm-hmm. family, and I think for Michelle, Barack made her feel more white. And Barack uh, was looking to establish a black identity for politics. And so Michelle made him feel more mm. black. So they both kind of helped huh. fill a need the other was looking for. Very interesting. Um, okay. And then, so then, um, so then they got together. <laughs> and, um, and how many years was it before they got married after they met? Well, I think it was about uh, four or five years, and uh, they remained very close to Bill Ayers and Bernadine Dorn, the terrorist uh, couple. Uh, they would go to their house for dinner every once a week, and uh, the influence of Bill Ayers and Bernadine Dorn on Michelle and Barack cannot be overstated. Uh-huh. And could you describe a little bit of that? Well, uh, Bernadine Dorn and Bill Ayers were, were anti-American radicals. They uh, hated the whole system. They believed in communism and socialism. They believed in, uh, you know, upending the system. Um, they tried to overthrow the system from the outside. They tried to, to have a violent communist revolution to overthrow the government. It didn't work. And so they learned their lesson, and I think the lesson they learned and taught Barack and Michelle was to overthrow the system, you have to do it from the inside. It's impossible to overthrow it from the outside. Uh, so I think their mm-hmm. their influence on them, especially Michelle, when she, you know, talked about the politics of fear, it's just very clear they had a very strong influence on them. Chesa Boudin, who was the uh, DA in San Francisco, the Soros-supported DA that just got recalled and removed, you know, he was raised by Bernadine Dorn and Bill Ayers, radicalized by them. Uh, he was the son of... Uh, Catherine Boudin and David Gilbert, who got put in jail for murdering three people in the, in the Nyack robbery in 1981. So there's a whole history there of radicalism of Michelle and Barack uh, really gravitating toward all the radicals in Chicago. Huh. Super interesting. I, I, before we... I, I want to talk a little bit about Barack in the next segment, but... Um, uh, you mentioned that you, did I, did I hear you correctly that you said that, I mean, I know you interviewed a whole bunch of people in Michelle's background, but did, and you interviewed her mother? I did talk to her mother, I had a conversation, got some really shocking information. You have to watch the film for that one. <laughs> it's in the book, ver- oh, it's in the book it. version. It's in the book version also. <laughs> Just a little hint, a little something to whet one at one's appetite. <laughs> No, you're just going to have to, you know, you'll be really shocked when you when you see it. So, uh, yeah, Michelle's mother was very nice and answered a couple personal questions for me. 
Oh, that's cool. Well, yes, I'll, I'll tell people at the end. Um, I mean, obviously, people know they can go to Amazon for the book, but I'll give them the where to go for the uh, film as well. Uh, but I don't yeah. want people going off <laughs> stuff. Uh, yeah, she's in the know, film, Salem, SalemNow.com. You can see her. She's in the movie. The mother is. Ah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, so, so as one to conclude that um, – that the desire to be in a movie um, is so great that her mother sold her out, <laughs> sold her daughter out. To be in the uh, movie. I wouldn't say that. I, I mean, mean, I have a certain, uh, you know, I, uh, people ask me, like, why did all these people talk to you? They, like, can't understand. Yeah. I think I yeah. just have some kind of, I have a certain charm when I talk to people. I I just get right to the <laughs> point, and they, they seem to cooperate. So I get a lot of cooperation. There's a lot of great information in the film and the book. Is that was the, did the mother or did did you get hear anything afterwards that the mother either regretted it or her husband regretted it or Mich- well Michelle will regret this whole thing I mean that's the thing what about that have you thought about that that when the more people who see this and read the book and so on and particularly about what her mother said um, and the more yeah that this I, I, I I have no doubt that her mother regrets uh, talking to me so you know uh-huh, you'll find out uh-huh. why when you watch the film it's on SalemNow.com. Okay. All right. We have one more segment with this juicy <laughs> guest, Joel Gilbert, the author of Michelle Obama 2024 in book and in documentary film form. And we'll hear more, so stay tuned. Uh, you're listening to Dr. Car- Carol's Couch, uh, and I'm Dr. Carol Lieberman, so stay tuned. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, Check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Tune into the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are. At home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey, Alexa. Hey, Google. Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. We're talking today about the 2024 election 
and the possibility, which my guest thinks is a very is a very high probability, of her running in 2024. So the lady does protest too much because she has pretended to deny that she would do that. So um, my guest Joel Gilbert, and let me mention some of his other um, of his other documentaries. Um, let's see, one second. Um, Okay, so first of all, he uh, produced documentary feature films on Barack Obama, Dreams from My Real Father, and he'll tell you more about that, uh, American Politics, There's No Place Like Utopia, and Donald Trump, Trump, The Art of the Insult, I love that, um, and he's also produced films about Middle East politics, including Farewell Israel and Atomic Jihad. So let's talk about some of those, actually, um, in this last segment. First of all, Barack Obama. I have been so frustrated by the fact that um, they it hasn't come out, um, unless maybe it did in your in your documentary. But I haven't heard um, of what the deal was, why it didn't come out, why it wasn't made clear, like across America, that um, that he was lying about where he was born. And he didn't really qualify to become president of the U.S. Well, there was significant uh, questioning of him because he didn't release his long-form birth certificate. People asked him, why don't you release your birth certificate? And he released just this little short-form single page. uh, And uh, that was really not sufficient. So people kept asking, why don't you release it? So that gave rise to a lot of speculation. He said his father was from Kenya. He grew up in Indonesia. It would have been very typical to release your actual birth certificate, which he refused to do. Uh, I found out, and through my research, uh, I thought and I believe the problem was not that Obama was not born in Hawaii. I think he was. The problem was with the father. I believe that the Kenyan Mm. Obama, the Kenyan student, was just kind of a cover uh, for the real biological father, which was Frank Marshall Davis, was a Chicago communist, one of the original black Bolsheviks out of Chicago, who was a Soviet agent during World War II and came out to, sh- huh. to, to Hawaii from Chicago uh, under orders to help uh, start a, a dock workers' strike, which he did. It lasted for six months. They were trying to expel U.S. naval forces from Hawaii. Uh, it eventually failed, and Davis stayed in Hawaii. This is before statehood. And I believe that Davis is the father of Barack Obama. He looks just like him. He did raise him. Uh, when Barack came back from Indonesia, uh, at eight years old, Davis was, you know, 67, and Obama's spending a couple days a week with him, you know, years old. And uh, it just doesn't make any sense. He looks just like him, and this was his mentor growing up. Uh, more important than the, the biology, I think this was his ideological mentor and uh, likely his actual biological father and not the Kenyan Obama. So when did... Um like when he went to school, who did he list as his father? He, did he from the beginning? Did he list the Kenyan father? Yeah, the Kenyan father. I think the cover story at that time in the early '60s, uh, they needed someone to claim to be the father. So I think they they cut a deal with this Kenyan student who was looking to extend his visa, who was already married with a couple of kids in Kenya, and so that's that's huh. how that came about. And so he officially was Barack Obama. Uh, to cover up the real biological father, and later but that turned into a close a... relationship. What? 
why did there need to be a cover-up? Why couldn't they say that Frank Marshall Davis was his father? Uh, Frank Marshall Davis was under FBI surveillance at the time. Uh, Obama's grandfather, Stanley Dunham, uh, I think, worked for the government and was likely surveilling Davis. Uh, it was part of his job. And so he couldn't have his you know, son-in-law be the number one communist on the island at the time. So I, I think that's why they had to cover it up. And I go into that huh. in the film. Yeah. That, that's, that's super interesting. Um, so it had more to do with his, so his mother, so his mother was kind of a radical too, a radical in terms of, uh, you know, a, a rebel, um, in terms well, of, you not, know, not so much. Look, the story was that, uh, the, the family, you know, uh, the mother was 18 years old and did not want to go to Hawaii. And the family moved to Hawaii when she was just finishing high school. She wanted to stay in, uh, in Seattle and go to university there in Washington State. And she was kind of forced to go to uh, Hawaii. So she kind of rebelled. And part of the rebellion was uh, hooking up with Frank Marshall Davis at that time. And she became pregnant. So that's, that's how the story goes. And then when they realized she was pregnant, they recruited this Kenyan student to, uh, to cover up or to pretend to be the father at that time. There was no DNA or anything, so they they pretty much got away with it. And so interesting because, so what we have here, and it's, of course it's not a shock, but I mean, it is a shock, you know, the story is, but um, so what we have here in both Michelle Obama and Barack Obama's childhood are you know, situations where their parents were covering things up, like right from the beginning, they came from sociopathy. <laughs> And so yeah, it well, shouldn't be a surprise. Yeah, they, they both had things. That, uh, yeah, well, sorry, look, they uh, they had, uh, you know, Barack talked about a similar upbringing uh, that Michelle had in her kind of a Midwest, typical, stereotypical white family upbringing, and Barack uh, being raised by his grandparents in Hawaii, who were also from the Midwest. Mm. So... Um, what can you tell us about, because, you know, I work as, I, I don't know how much you know, but I, I work one of the, I devote a significant amount of my time, my professional work, to um, being the terrorist therapist. And I do um, a podcast and terrorist therapist show and so on, and I've written two books on terrorism and all that. And one of the things that has particularly intrigued me about Barack is his um, childhood where he was studying in the uh, madrasas, or whatever the plural of that is, um, you know, when he was in Indonesia and the, the impact that that has had on him, because in terms of uh, his then making America most vulnerable to terrorism, what can you tell us about that? Yeah, I don't think he studied, studied in madrasas in Indonesia. He just went to the, uh, the local schools. Uh, he was registered as a Muslim, because his father was Muslim in, in uh, Indonesia at that time. Uh, so, yeah, he was there till he was about eight years old, and then his mother sent him back to Hawaii, where he, uh, you know, went to, went to exclusive schools uh, in the, the Punahou uh, High School, which was uh, very exclusive and hard to get into, but he, he was there. Well, but certainly, but education, whether, you know, te technically, I mean, he has mentioned, I could swear that I, um, I mean, I've read that in various places that he was at madrasas. 
But um, but in any case, if, even if it was just a regular school in Indonesia, certainly the what they taught um, would have influenced him to be, um, you know, to be friendlier, uh, to have a, a, a sympathy, a friendlier attitude towards um, Islam than he wanted anyone to believe or wants anyone to believe. Yeah, well, he, don't forget the uh, the Indonesian version of Islam is much different from the Middle Eastern version of Islam. Uh, but uh, Obama did talk about even you know told the New York Times that uh, hearing the call to prayer was a, a very beautiful, welcoming sound for him. Growing up in Indonesia, mm-hmm. he 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 did become open to uh, uh, you know much more friendly to Islam than uh, one would have been if they did not spend a few years in a Muslim country. Mhm, mhm. Yeah, because remember that whole thing of how he tried when he was running for president. He was trying to deny any connection to that. You know that uh, trying to present. Because remember there was the uh, someone at his church who was a questionable figure. I'm sure you. Uh, I'm sure you know. I don't remember what the man's name was, but there was a uh, a man at his. I think it was at his church who he tried to distance himself from. And um, claimed that he was Christian. Do you remember that? Uh, well, of course, people know Obama's uh, Reverend Jeremiah Wright. Of course, was kind of the liberation theology preacher who was Obama's pastor for 20 years and gave very radical anti-American speeches. Barack at first claimed that he never heard those speeches, then he admitted he did. So that was a big mess, and the media helped him out yes. of it. Basically, every single mess. Uh, that ever came up about Obama, they just uh, they just moved on. Even the Frank Marshall Davis thing uh, came up at some point, and uh, Obama's half sister Maya said, "Oh well, when Barack came back from Indonesia, his grandfather felt he needed a black role model," and the media mm. just accepted that and moved on. Like a an eight year old kid, a multiracial child moving to a multiracial society needs a 67-year-old black, uh, you know, <laughs> radical, radical communist uh, pornographer to be his mentor at eight years old. It's just ridiculous. So the, the, media, works, helped, right? the, the media helped him get over all these, all these things. Yes, that's, that was the name. That's right. Jer- that's what I was, who I was thinking of, Jeremiah Wright. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay, we have about five minutes left. What would you like to, what haven't we talked about that you would like to talk about? Well, you know, bringing it back, to, well, bringing it back to Michelle. I mean, look, uh, I am convinced she's running for president. I think uh, she's laid the groundwork for years. I think she's following the same formula as as Barack, as I mentioned, through her autobiography, her keynote speaker uh, gig, and her "When We All Vote" voter registration organization. She's very much copying Barack. Uh, Barack followed up his book "Dreams from My Father" with the audacity of hope. Michelle just announced yesterday a new book coming out, her second book uh, coming out in November, uh, The Light That We Share, I think it's called. Uh, so she's just, I think, just taking her time and following the same footsteps as, as Barack. And, uh, you know, she covered it for a long time. People remember back in 2008, she was so over-the-top political. At some point, she said, for the first time in my life, I'm proud of my country. And that got so much backlash that the uh, campaign kind of had to rein her in. So they told her, okay, you hate politics, and you just want to be the mom-in-chief now. So she kind of took a step back, and that actually served her very well, because she was able to you know, be on every magazine cover ten times and 
uh, get a very positive reputation. She's probably the most po- popular woman in America right now. And I think she's going to turn that into a, into a campaign for president. I think that they're, she is the best-loved Democrat, and none of them could compete with her. And the Republicans will have to, you know, take her on and uh, ask her things, for instance, for my film, like, Michelle, are you going to apologize for what you did to the black community in Chicago? That would open a whole can of worms. Uh, uh-huh. So, yeah, so I think, uh, you know, Michelle Obama 20, 2024, you're going to learn about the real Michelle Obama, and I think everyone should uh, get the, watch the film online at SalemNow.com, or you can buy the DVD there or get the book version on, on Amazon.com. Um, and what about, you know, there, there's, there has been over the years talk about Oprah uh, running for president. What is, I know at one time she was just, they were madly in love with each other. Um, are they still in love with each other? Yeah, I mean, Oprah has uh, kind of interviewed Michelle over the years, uh, including on her Becoming book tour. She introduced her, you know, from the south side of Chicago, Michelle Obama, you know, so Oprah has been a willing participant uh, with the Obamas from the beginning, kind of bringing along that crowd of working mothers and, uh, you know, women that follow her and opening, opening them up to accepting the Obamas. And Michelle has worked on that Oprah crowd, that Hillary Oprah crowd of working mothers for years, developing that kind of base uh, political support group. And I think they'll be very much in favor of Michelle running for president. And Hillary, that begs the question of Hillary. I mean, I know there was something just recently where she was saying, no, I'm not going to run, but, I mean, you, you know, you can't believe her either, really. But if, could it become a cat fight between Hillary and No, I don't, I, don't, I don't think so. Hillary's, uh, you know, 75, 76. The Democrat Party is moving away from their older white political people like Biden, and they got rid of Andrew Cuomo. I think they have no interest in Hillary. She's not popular. Uh, her time is, has passed, so I don't think Hillary would be an obstacle at all for Michelle Obama. Uh-huh. Okay. Well, I want to thank you again, Joel Gilbert. Again, I want to, the, the names of the book, the name of the book is called Michelle Obama 2024, Her Real-Life Story and Plan for Power. And the documentary, which, of course, you can get on Amazon, and the documentary, Michelle Obama 2024, um, is on, um, what did you just, is on, where, I wrote it down. It's going to be on Salem Now, Salem, S-A-L-E-M Now, dot com. Okay, great. Well, thank you so much, Joel. This was really fabulous, and I am so grateful, and America should be grateful to you for exposing the real Michelle Obama. So thank you. All right, thanks so much. And thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat.